The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. When the Facts Change is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, in partnership with Kiwi Bank. The bank for Kiwi, looking to get ahead in business and in life. A bank that delivers expertise and banking know-how, smart advice for business owners wanting to invest, grow their business or diversify. A bank that adapts with technology through the lens of its people and customers. It is a bank with heart that is driven by its purpose. Kiwi making Kiwi better off. Twenty twenty three has been the year of the jets. New Zealanders, as consumers, were told by the Reserve Bank to cool our jets when it came to spending. So we did. <laughs> it helped that we were spending so much more on mortgages and on rents and on cost of living. So we cooled our jets as we were instructed by the Reserve Bank, and that has slowed down spending in the economy, but not as much as we were expecting. Why? because someone else was speeding up their jets, figuratively, and in reality. About 400 people a day were coming in on those jets. Imagine an A320 flying from somewhere else into Auckland, mostly Auckland. Two of those every day, with about 400 people, were flying into New Zealand as migrants. This year has been the year of the migrants, of cooling our jets as consumers, but speeding them up on migration, not just coming in about 400 a day, two plane loads, but also a bunch of New Zealanders leaving one plane load, about 200 a day. And that's been the story of our economy. This year, we had a surprising amount of migration, and it's had a couple of big effects on our economy. Firstly, it's added to our labour supply and has helped slow down the wage inflation that so many were concerned about. But now the Reserve Bank is saying it's a bit nervous about how all these extra people here might bid up prices. Extra demand pushing up, for example, rents. We don't know for sure yet. The Reserve Bank is saying, let's hold our horses and wait before we start cutting interest rates next year. And we'll find out whether all these extra people are going to generate a net inflationary pressure rather than a deflationary one. This week on When the Facts Change, we go inside this huge migration surge to find out the effects on our economy, on our interest rates, on rents, on wages with Mary Jo Vergara from Kiwi Bank. It really has been the story of the year. We cooled our jets and the jets arrived and quite a few left this week on When the Facts Change. Well, kia ora and welcome to When the Facts Change to Mary Jo Vergara, an economist at Kiwi Bank. Lovely to have you in the studio here at the spin-off. 
Hey, thanks for having me. It has been a huge year uh, in many ways for our economy, but mostly because it's been all about migration. It's been the story of the year. Mm. Record high migration, and it's had impacts on the economy. Could you talk about the scale of the number of people coming into the country and how out of the historical box it is? Yeah, yeah. Um, Let me just take a deep breath because it's a big number. Um, In the year to, I think, October, we recorded almost 129,000 net gain of migrants, permanent to long-term migrants. That's a record high. Looking at the monthly arrivals, there's still very strong inflows, net inflows. Um, We've just, you know, it's just just this massive surge of migration that we've hit um, that's really been the year of migration this year. And it's a two-sided thing, isn't it? Because we've got lots of people coming in for jobs. Often they're on temporary work visas. Um, They're here to fill a job. They may have already got one arranged before they came. And um, that's really interesting for um, the labour market and for potentially uh, wage inflation. And then on the other side, there's the demand side of things, the things that people buy after they come, Mm -hmm. the extra people, the volume of people buying things. Uh, We exist, therefore we consume, therefore we buy and demand stuff. Could you tell us about those competing forces, the two sides of the coin, the the double edge. Yeah, it is. That's exactly the right way to characterize it. So you've got the supply side, we've got a spike in available workers that's expanding the talent pool, which should, in theory, um, you know, put downward pressure on wages. And that's a helpful disinflationary force of migration. And that force, I think, is especially strong this time around because we've had a labor market that has been incredibly tight. They've been starved, starved of workers. So when you've got this this extra supply that's really helping and, and it's quickly absorbed in the labor market. Um, but as you say, more people in the country means more demand for everything. Um, it goes from, you know, household furniture to just meals, you know, down down the street. So there is a lot more demand in the economy when you have a fast-growing population. Uh, so there are signs that consumption is much stronger than than otherwise. Um but those are the two two forces. And what we grapple with is which is the, the dominating force. Initially, we thought it was the supply side because we saw labour market expand and, and employment growth was very strong at the beginning of the year. But there are signs that maybe demand is a bit more strong, um, especially because migration continues to surge. And the way that um, this push-pull approach has been most evident is in the way the Reserve Bank has been talking about this migration surge. In the middle of the year, the Reserve Bank was saying, gee, we've got this new surge of migration. That's quite good for uh, keeping a lid on on wage inflation. But in the last monetary policy statement and in the last set of forecasts, they said, oh, the other side of the coin, maybe the demand side is going to dominate in that push and pull. Mm. Uh, uh, And that's one of the reasons that they slightly increased their track for Mm. the uh, uh, official cash rate and uh, didn't have much of a fall in their their forecast track and certainly not next year. How do you think um, the Reserve Bank's view on this migration surge has changed through the last six months or so? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, 
well, they they said it themselves that it is a developing view, and to be f- that's completely fair because we 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 look at the data as it comes. Um, I think initially we all thought that it would just be this pent up demand story. You know, uh, restrictions were removed, um, and we saw people flooding back. Uh, we thought that, and it was we had very strong monthly inflows, which. If you look at previous, you know, previous monthly inflows, it was exceeding that by such a big magnitude. So initially, we thought it was more of a pent-up demand story. But then, with every month, it just kept getting, you know, remained strong. So you couldn't really put it down to pent-up demand anymore. And as the months go by, we're seeing that consumption is a little bit stronger than otherwise. You know, rental inflation is is strong; hasn't really returned to pre-COVID levels. So those demand signs, that that demand impulse. Are beginning to emerge and it's being a bit more strong than than we initially assumed. So it's not just a pent up demand story now. So I think we could actually see net migration settle at a higher rate than we initially assumed because you know there's just so much more people and it's it's going to take a while for it to settle. And it's interesting to try to understand who's coming and what sort of jobs they're doing in trying to work out which is the dominant force, the mm-hmm. demand push or the supply. Uh, What have you learned from looking at the detail of the numbers about what types of uh, professions, skills, ages, those sorts of things? Yeah, well, looking at the breakdown, which is always really fun, um, it it has a sort of deflationary aspect to it because the people coming here, they're very young. 40% of the people coming here are around 20 to 35 years old. So they're very much active participants in the labour force. Um, so that should continue to put downward pressure on wage inflation. But they're also coming here in terms of occupation, mostly in the trades, services, technicians. Um, previously, previous migration booms, it was mostly professional services, your doctors and nurses. And when you're comparing salaries, they're relatively more less, um, you know, not as highly paid as previous migration booms. So that's that's another factor why we think that this migration surge could potentially not be as inflationary as the Reserve Bank maybe maybe expects. Um, You know, they'll come here with not as much, not as strong of a buying power as potentially other previous booms. Because in previous booms, when people came and were getting high incomes, your doctors and your professional um, skilled people, they might uh, be coming with quite a chunk of money. They might be coming here on a residence visa. They might go straight into the uh, housing market to buy a house, which could increase the demand mm-hmm. for houses and therefore prices of houses. And um, they may also be New Zealanders coming back. Um, you often go away, build up a deposit, come back to New Zealand, start a family and buy a house. Mm-hmm. Is there a sense uh, from the numbers on uh, how many might be coming to uh, uh, settle or how many are, are just passing through, if you like? Yeah, I, when we're looking at who's coming in terms of the visa and the citizenship, they're mostly coming on a work visa. So we've seen work visas just skyrocket in the last few months as well, which again goes to the whole adding to the labour supply um, story. Um, but they're also coming mostly from you know, India and China and the Philippines. So they're very, they're coming here as active participants in the labor in the labor force. When you're looking at the housing market, it hasn't actually sort of taken off as you'd expect with such a big population um, boom. Um, we've seen the latest numbers, and it showed that house house prices have lifted, but they're kind of tracking sideways, which you kind of tells you the demand 
isn't quite there. Might be some, you know, election uncertainty still lingering, but it hasn't taken off necessarily despite a big migration boom. And what are we seeing with rents? Rental inflation, though, is is high. Um, it's above pre-COVID levels and continues to rise. It's still a little bit strong. Um, and that's where you'd expect the the migrants um, to, to pass through. You know, they may not be buying houses, but they're putting upward pressure on, on rents. Any particular parts of the country where the pressure is most intense? I think it's across the board. But, you know, people come here and they usually go to the most populous places, Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch. They're usually the biggest beneficiaries of or the destinations of, of migrants coming to New Zealand. And just looking at the um, in and out part of the flow, we've seen the the two sides of the coin, but also there's a flow in and a flow out. Unlike in previous migration booms, where it's been mostly about non-New Zealand citizens coming here, we obviously have a net migration of 128,000. There's an awful lot of non-New Zealand citizens coming. But it turns out there's an awful lot of New Zealand citizens leaving as well. Uh, the net number disguises, you know, a, a net migration for non-New Zealand citizens of 177,000 and of New Zealand citizens, 44,000 out, mm-hmm. which leaves you with that 128,000 or so overall net. What's going on there? Why would there be so many New Zealand citizens leaving when, you know, there's obviously plenty of demand for labour? Yeah. Um, well, we typically record a net outflow of New Zealand citizens. Uh, there was a time, I think right before the pandemic or during the pandemic, where we had a net inflow, and that was quite a rare occurrence, having Kiwi come back home. Um, but we've got we've returned to recording a net outflow. Most, I think, are, come, are leaving to Australia. Um, really, the, the, the determinant of whether someone stays or goes largely depends on the labour market and the strength of the labour market. And we like to look at Australia and New Zealand labour markets. And the relative strength, I think, leans on the Australian labour market. They're much stronger um, than ours. They've got a strong, relatively stronger economy and expected to have a relatively stronger economy, largely because their central bank hasn't aggressively tightened monetary policy as, as, as we have. So they may have a much softer landing in terms of their recovery um, as opposed to ours, which we've got obviously had higher interest rates. So that a stronger labour force in Australia is a much you know, stronger pull for Kiwi leaving. When the Facts Change is brought to you in partnership with Kiwi Bank to help you understand the issues affecting the economy. And that's what their team of experts is here to do too. Here's Kiwi Bank's Chief Economist, Jared Kerr, on what's happening with inflation in 2024. Globally, inflation rose to really high levels. We saw inflation averaging over 10% uh, last year. Now central banks have reacted. They've tightened monetary policy. They've lifted interest rates to levels where it hurts. We've seen growth slow down and we're seeing inflation coming off, which is great news because we import a lot of inflation from the rest of the world and that imported inflation is easing. So half the job that we're trying to do locally is is being done for us offshore. The other half, the domestic bit, well, that's the tough bit. That's the sticky inflation that's coming out of a housing market, it's coming out of construction, it's coming out of service industries, and it's going to be hard to contain. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to stay up to date with detailed economic analysis and forecasts from Jared and other KiwiBank experts.
They take big issues from both here and overseas and make them relevant to Kiwi businesses. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. And just looking into next year, we, we're really at that, that pivot point where it's clear the migration monthly is starting to tail off. We've gone from about 10,000 or so a month down to seven or 8,000. And we're not quite sure which of the two forces, the demand push or the supply push, is going to uh, dominate in the net inflation story. Uh, the Reserve Bank is worried about the inflation side. What's what's your view on you know next year with both inflation and interest rates? Yeah, we, we still think that there is good momentum in inflation, good downward momentum in inflation. We still expect it to continue falling. Um, much of the, the legwork right now has been on the imported inflation side. So shipping costs have normalised, commodity prices have come off, and that's really led to a rapid deceleration in import inflation, which has pulled down headline inflation. Um, that'll, that story will continue into next year. But we still think that domestic inflation, while it's proving sticky, will continue to move lower, largely because of the labour market starting to expand and looser labour market conditions. So that should bring domestic inflation down, which should help you know headline inflation return to 2%. But it is a much more tricky process to go from a 4% inflation rate down back to 2%, mostly because of that domestic inflation story. But we do expect us to get there. Um, you know, we see the inflation rate back within the Reserve Bank's 1% to 3% band sort of in the second half of next year. And with that in mind, as well as a softer economy and a, a higher unemployment rate, that should put the, the Reserve Bank in a position to actually start cutting interest rates. We were expecting sort of early next year, but that's proving to be too optimistic at this stage. I think they'd want to see more inflation prints. So it's more a sort of second half of 2024 kind of story. And and looking also ahead at the longer-term supply story for the economy, because we've had all these extra people come, 128,000, uh, and of course our core of our population is not rising that much. We're sort of um, self-replacing. Our um, deaths are about the same as our births if it was not about uh, extra people coming in from migration. So migration is the swing factor in our population. Um, have we got the buses and the trains and the houses and the schools and the hospitals and all the infrastructure for all of these extra people to come? If, as you say, we're lifting to a higher plateau of net migration. Yeah. Uh, no, we don't. <laughs> uh, our, we have a very big infrastructure shortage, shortage um, health, inf health infrastructure, housing, all of that just cannot sustain or cannot, you know, accommodate the extra people. Net migration on a long-term basis is a net positive for the economy. Um, but when you have an infrastructure shortage, when you don't have the infrastructure to accommodate this this fast-growing population, that's when it becomes more, you know, inflationary in the short term. And um, 
at the same time as uh, all of these extra people have, have come in, we've actually seen the number of new housing consents drop off. Can you talk about, you know, that, that the, the competing forces there, lots of extra people coming in, but perhaps fewer houses being added to the supply? Yeah, we've seen residential building consents fall. We had a very big building boom of the last two years, but tighter financial conditions have been weighing on building activity. We may have the people here to build, we may have the materials here to build now, but uh, there's just no appetite for it anymore because of how tight infra infra uh, interest rates are. It's just not as profitable as, as it is to, it's more expensive to build a home. So we've seen building consents fall, that construction activity is drying up, that pipeline activity is drying up, um, which does leave you with an even bigger housing shortage today. You know, we, we're still making up for the migration boom we had in 2014. Um, we're just adding more people to that and we haven't been doing enough on the supply side. Yeah, that's one of the sort of longer-term stories of the economy, our lack of ability to add infrastructure. And we've got a deficit, according to the Infrastructure Commission, of $100 billion, with another $100 billion <laughs> of deficit in the pipeline. Um, how, how does New Zealand think about trying to solve these problems? And uh, are, we, are we in a position to start to solve them? Yeah, I think some of it can go boils down to, you know, policy and regulation. We obviously have no shortage of land in New Zealand. You drive anywhere and there's a plot of land you could put a house on top of, but whether that land is build ready is another question. And there are, you know, restrictions as to how high you can build a house in, in the CBD or, or that, or, you know, that kind of thing. So um, a lot of it could be put down to fixing the, the, the regulations to, to make it easier to build a home. And, and just uh, looking at the swing factors going into the next year, obviously the migration um, boom, whether that continues on or gets a bit less, whether the Reserve Bank uh, moves interest rates next year, um, what else should we watch out for as swing factors in the economy, but also in, in the housing market? Yeah, I think, well, we're still expecting the New Zealand economy to slow down quite significantly um, going into next year. In fact, we're still record we're expecting a, a recession, a two quarter recession. Um, one upside risk to that is our tourism picture. Um, so, tourism, I think, is just running at about eighty percent of pre-COVID levels. It's largely down to Chinese arrivals haven't quite returned to pre-COVID levels because, I mean, this time last year or even earlier this year, they were still under COVID restrictions. So we haven't quite seen Chinese arrival numbers lift to the pre-COVID highs. So if we see that this summer, which is typically the peak international tourism season, um, that we could avoid a, a recession altogether if tourism gets back to full strength over the summer, um, that's one upside risk to, to, to look for. Um, and to keep an eye out for come in the coming months. Although it's interesting that um, China has now um, freed up its tourists to leave the country on the group tours, particularly to Australia, and where a lot of people bounce on from Australia to New Zealand on those group tours. Although Chinese uh, consumers are not feeling thrilled about the world at the moment and maybe are keener to um, go on holiday domest domestically. Uh, uh, and what about the um, the picture for um, the agricultural sector 
and the broader economy. You know, you've got the government um, currently um, going through uh, another look at how it spends money, how much it spends, and on and on what. And uh, and also you've got um, other parts of the economy that are still adjusting. I think to that shock from the five hundred and twenty five basis points of. Of, of increases. What are the what about the rest of the economy beyond tourism? Yeah, I think just overall it's gonna be a very awkward period. Um it's you know it's a stronger than expected economy, but it's still a very weak economy. Um that five hundred twenty-five basis points of cuts just has to hit the economy. You know, monetary policy operates with a long lag. And so those rate hikes are still feeding through the economy. Um, people are still many households out there are still you know, on just waiting to get to that higher interest rate and it will crimp household demand. It has to. Uh, that is by the Reserve Bank's design to try and, you know, weigh on household incomes and household household consumption because at the end of the day, it's all about getting inflation back to the 2% target. And it seems that we need our economy to grow below trend to have a very weak economic output um, in the coming months for us to get back to that 2% inflation outlook. Um you know, it's all about we're seeing inflation expectations. They're, they've they've become unanchored from the 2% target and we really need to that, see that go back to, to target. Thank you very much. Mira Jo Vergara, an economist with Kiwi Bank here on When the Facts Change. Lovely to see you. Thank you. When the Facts Change was brought to you by the Spinoff Podcast Network, together with Kiwi Bank. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to find out how Kiwi Bank are making Kiwi better off. Kia ora e te iwi, Kiai Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spinoff Podcast Network.